All right, we got here Eli Facenda, founder of Freedom Travel Systems. Super excited for this one as Eli is our first credit expert to come on the podcast. And it's very timely as Land and I were literally were just using points to book a flight to LA. Um, so extremely excited for this one. Eli, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you, gentlemen. Excited to have you guys here together and be able to, to break this stuff down today. Absolutely. So let's let's dive right into it. Before we go into, you know, credit, high level points, travel, all this stuff, tell us a little bit more about your background. Yeah. So from the DC area originally, grew up in Virginia. And, you know, I'll kind of tie this into how I got into the whole travel thing. But baseball was always my passion growing up. Played baseball through college, went to Lehigh University. Actually, you guys probably are familiar being from New York and Philly. Yeah, or New York and Delaware, but played baseball through through that level. But I actually had the opportunity to play baseball overseas when I was in high school in the Dominican Republic. And that was really one of my first real international travel experiences where I got to kind of peek behind the curtain of just the touristic side of going to an amazing place like Dominican and really get to meet some of the local athletes that were there. And what ended up happening actually is I you know went to school, had a finance degree, ended up studying abroad. And the coach that had led me on that trip, my high school baseball coach, then ended up starting a company that did a very similar thing, taking teams all around the world. And I ended up becoming the first employee and eventually helping to build the team and get equity in it. And I still part own and operate that today. Uh, but that's actually how I got into travel and kind of ignited this passion for seeing the world and showing other people the world and learning the whole points and credit game that we'll talk about today. So for me, it was kind of following the passion of baseball that led me to a different passion of travel that kind of brought me to my third and probably most prominent passion now, which is entrepreneurship. Dude, that's amazing. Great story. We, we relate to that heavily. I'll spare our audience for listening to our story for the 900th time on this thing, but we were both college athletes. I played baseball, Lennon played football. Similar story in that, in that fashion. How was the transition from college baseball to entrepreneurship? Cause I know it's a, it's relatively seamless from a skill set, but an identity shift isn't as easy. Yeah. So I ended up actually getting released my sophomore year from the baseball team. So I kind of had to go through like a whole identity death and rebirth kind of process in terms of figuring out like who the hell I was without the sport that I loved for so long. And and it was actually kind of funny because at that point, to be honest with you, like I wasn't performing well. I had some injuries and stuff that I was trying to deal with. And like, I was getting so anxious performing in the game that when I ended up getting released, I was, it was like partially sad, but very relieved actually. I was like, oh, I don't have to deal with all this like stress anymore. And so after kind of recouping from that, you know, I started to figure out like, what do I actually like want to be doing with my life now that this isn't like this huge thing isn't occupying it. And I immediately, I remember actually it was that year, I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was until after that, like right around that time period. I remember actually finding, finding out and being like, oh, there's this thing like entrepreneurship. What's this? And at that point, like guys like Gary Vee were just popping on the scene and all that. And I was just starting to create this kind of spark and hunger and curiosity. But it was the same kind of drive to be great at something and the drive to challenge yourself from, from baseball that translated into entrepreneurship. And, you know, you may have heard of this concept of like infinite games versus finite games. It's a Simon Sinek concept. And I feel like that really applies here because being great at any skill set, like whether it's a sport or a business, it's kind of an infinite game. There's no, there's no finish line to cross. You're constantly just, it's an open-ended loop, right? And I feel like in terms of how I viewed becoming a better athlete, that translated in terms of the identity of, of stepping into entrepreneurship, you know, starting out completely raw and then still be doing it, you know, years later, trying to just continually just evolve into the next version. So what does the journey of entrepreneurship look like for you from start to, to where you are now? Yeah. So, so when I first started out, it's kind of funny because, you know, Lee has a pretty, pretty good university and has a finance degree and everyone that's finance and accounting goes to wall street and they make hundred K at 22 years old, more money with a $20,000 signing bonus. It's like more money than, than anyone like knows what to do with at that point. 
And I took a very different path because I got this opportunity to work with my former high school coach, which technically in that role, I didn't even need like a college degree because it was like a personal relationship and there was no like formal interview process. And I was making like peanuts because, you know, we were trying to grow something and, and there was a lot of passion and freedom and opportunity. But immediately off the bat, you know, I took the route that was like, hey, you know, this route is certainty. It's going to be higher income. There's a lot of guaranteed, you know, money and a great path here. This one has a lot of risk, but a lot of upside and a lot of unknowns and a lot of excitement. And I was like, screw it. I'm going that way. And so I went in and it took a couple of years of really trying to just like figure things out, just testing a lot. And I was very fortunate because many people don't get this opportunity. I think it's very overlooked, particularly for young entrepreneurs starting out is that I got to be what I, you know, what's really called like an intrapreneur. Like there was like a, a team and a company and they were like, here's a bunch of Play-Doh. Let's see what you can go do, right? Like go just make stuff happen. And I had a lot of energy and a lot of time and I was ready to just like make things rock. And that was much better in terms of testing skill sets and learning what you're good at, what you don't like, what you do like than having my own thing. Because if I had my own thing, like you have to get things off the ground first. And this was already off the ground. So I was very fortunate in that. And then through that, I just started to learn a lot about marketing, sales, you know, client success, fulfillment, delivery, all these things. And, you know, we were leading trips all over the world too. So there was a lot of like, you know, you're, you're planning something overseas for a group of 40 people that are paying you a good amount of money. And then you're going to be guiding them for 10 days through Japan or Italy. Like there's kind of a lot riding on that for yourself personally, in terms of your reputation and like what you're creating. So I learned a lot about just like how to, you know, create experiences and then put yourself in a situation where you have to now fulfill on it and you have to do, you know, how, you have to do good by people. This isn't like an online business where, if things don't go right, like you just like kind of disappear and hit refund or something like that, right? This is like you're in the middle of Germany with a family and like if, if stuff hits the fan that you told them was going to happen, it's on you, right? So it's very high stakes. So transitioning from that into now running an online business, I mean, this is just infinitely easier in terms of scalability, like delivery, handling client challenges. So it's still as much, you know, it's, it's still got a lot of challenges, but way, way easier than, than, previously. So a little bit long winded, but th that was kind of the path through entrepreneurship for me was going from entrepreneur to building that to now running my own business. No, I love that, man. I love the reference to entrepreneurship because Patrick Beck David talks about it a lot. And it's, you know, being in business for yourself, but not by yourself, having a support system, being able to make mistakes and then not be fatal. And you have mentorship and infrastructure there to support you in that. And over time, earning equity in that. So that, that's amazing, man. And then you threw yourself in the fire and learned the skill set more importantly than made money where the actual risk is going the safe route and going to Wall Street, which is so funny because it's ironic, right? People are like, oh, I don't want to take the risk to entrepreneurship. But the risky thing is actually going the safe route because now while you're probably making peanuts for the first couple of years, you have exponential growth and they're just flatlining. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on your perspective on life. But for me, the biggest risk is just getting further down the road and having more regrets. Yep. Like so that. if you're playing that game, it's just like, okay, well, then I got to do the thing that I really want to do. I always say this to myself and anybody that, that we're kind of connected with, like my, my girlfriend is a nurse. It's like, she's more down the entrepreneur route as well. It's like, like Jefferson hospital is not going anywhere for us, like Wells Fargo and Fidelity and Schwab and Vanguard and all these like, you know, wall street type of, you know, in, you know, financier type of banking industry stuff. That's, that's never going to go anywhere, but the opportunity to, to really just get vertical in a space and bet on yourself that does diminish over time as you build a family or as you get more, you know, more, more weight on your shoulders on the personal side. Those opportunities start to start to close, and so now is the time to you know to take action. Is, is our thought of this? You know, totally, yeah. And you'll hear it like when I was doing this, you know, we, I was around. So we were selling these trips, and it's family oriented trips. So the people buying these are generally you know pretty affluent, like parents of like teens and stuff. So they're usually like 
late forties, early fifties, early forties, that range. And, you know, you, you talk to all these like dads, for example, and they'd be like, Oh man, you're young. Like you have nothing to lose. Just go for it. But when you're in that, it does not feel like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so just for anyone listening, like you might hear all these things like, Oh, you have it so easy. Like you have no responsibilities. It's never going to feel like what the person is saying is true. Like I was never like, Oh yeah, nothing to lose. It was like, it was like, I feel like I had a lot to lose at that point. I had a, you know, a degree that my parents paid a lot for me to go get. I had all my friends make a lot of money. I was like embarrassed that this didn't work for me. Like, was I an idiot for going the wrong path? And then like, you know, I just threw this degree down the toilet. Like, so it's not going to ever really feel like as easy as that, but it is important to recognize also, like if there's people that have been down the road, 20, 30, 40 years ahead, like to, li- to listen a little bit too. You're not alone, man. And, and I think it's, it's a lot from the act athlete background as well, right? It's like this constant, even though it's not life or death, it's almost life or death in our heads every single day. Um, totally. Good thing. It keeps that chip on your shoulder. It's like I always say, it's not the most sustainable way to live at life, right? Like if, if I was able to be comfortable just working a normal job and having the white picket fence, great, you win the game of life. But 99% of people say that they're happy doing that, but they're not actually happy, right? I said all the time, like it probably would have been more sustainable for Kobe to not be as ambitious as he was. But it's better than being a loser. It's better than being the polar opposite, right? Sure, totally. So let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about your transition to what you're doing today. So you're doing a lot of traveling. You get a master's degree, basically, in entrepreneurship, logistics, and all this stuff. You're doing a lot of traveling. So I'm assuming that's where you started to gain this passion for how to travel more efficiently through points and credit. Tell us a little bit more about how that transition happened. Yeah. So it, it, the initial interest came out of nowhere, really. I mean, honestly, I was listening to a podcast my senior year of college before podcasts were cool. So it's like 2014. And it was like on a website, like I had to like click play on the web browser and like watch it like basically. But so, so I heard about travel hacking a little bit, but it, it kind of was like a bookmark in my mind. Like, that's cool. I'll come back to that later. And then two years into, you know, or two years later, basically, I'm kind of early into my entrepreneurial game. I'm planning a trip to Thailand with a bunch of friends. I had 12 friends I convinced to go on this trip and it was just going to be for fun. But I was not making very much money. I'm working like four different jobs and driving Uber. I was working in a restaurant, coaching baseball lessons, running a baseball team. And then also my job with the tour company. I was like, I need to figure out how to get there. And like this credit card points thing is probably the way. So I ended up getting a free trip to Thailand. I was like, this is amazing. It's crazy. And then a year later, I got my first ever international like business or first class like lay flat bed going over to Europe. And immediately I was like, oh, this is I'm I'm hooked because I walked on the plane like for the first time I turned left instead of turning right. You know, you go see all the beds and the pods and it was like, you know, it's just an incredible experience I had the lounge before, you know, you're having like nice wines and all this stuff. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like, you know, I'm walking down this, this aisle and I'm paying $6 for this. It was $5 and 60 cents. And the retail ticket for that, for that, or the retail cost for that ticket was probably like six or seven grand. And so I'm sitting around like, you know, CEOs or high net worth people. And I'm just like 23 and broke. And I'm like, how the hell did, did I get here? Like, I do not belong. And I, so at that point, I was just hooked. I nerded out hardcore with everything I could about it, started using the practice of, of credit card points and really credit as a whole to help grow the business as well. And then create a really cool lifestyle that then turned into, you know, a deeper passion, then a hobby, and then a little bit of a brand. And then the brand turned into kind of a, you know, a freelancer type thing and essentially turned into a whole team. Eventually now we've got, you know, 13 team members and we're constantly growing. That's an amazing, an amazing timeline story. Let's get real foundational for a second, right? So I think a lot of folks have a misconception on debt and on credit and how to really use it to their advantage. For the folks listening that have maybe a bad relationship with, with their perception of credit and how they can use it to, for their advantage, could you just give a foundational kind of place to start and just kind of just drop some game on, from a foundational standpoint to really sure. shift the perspective a little bit for just the, 
you know, the Dave Ramsey followers of the world. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. So the first thing you want to do is really understand how credit works and how lending works and how the whole banking system works. So you don't have to go all the way down the rabbit hole. But number one, you need to know how your credit score works, the five factors of credit, right? Payment history being the most important, new credit being the least important. And like that just speaks to a common misconception. A lot of people are like, oh, if I get a new card, it's going to ruin my credit score. Well, first off, if it's a business card, right? Business cards, for the most part, don't show up on your personal credit report. So we can get into how you can leverage business credit to, to start or grow something. So that's, that's number one. But a lot of people don't realize that. And so they're afraid of getting a new card, not realizing, okay, the inquiry will ding your score maybe like three points for a period of like 90 days. But over time, you actually need more credit because you need more payment history. You need more total revolving lines. You need a bigger credit mix. So you actually need more credit to grow a better score. So the first thing is to understand some of how this works and start slow, right? You don't need to jump in and get 20 credit cards off the bat. Like I definitely do not recommend that, but start slow. I think you had another guest on talking about some of the authorized user strategies that you can use where like if a parent adds you to one of their cars, it can help you build your credit and, you know, bump you 20, 30, 40 points. But once you kind of have that down, then it's time to create a strategy. And then you want to be looking at two main things. Number one, do I want to travel and how do I want to maximize points for this, which is where our business is like expertise, like that's our, our foundations and what we really do. And then number two is, do I want or need to leverage any 0% interest financing that I can get off these business cards that I could then pour back into the business? Right. Because if you're starting something, you can use your own cash. You could use your personal credit, which will hurt your credit score. You could try and borrow money from someone else and get a loan, which is kind of difficult. You could give up equity and control, or you can bootstrap things and take longer. But if you have 0% interest financing underneath the credit card, it doesn't impact your credit, right? Because it's not your personal credit report. So you could take that money, invest it into a coach, course, program, mentor, whatever it may be, buy the inventory, hire the freelancers, use that to get a jump start into your growth. And then you are, you do need to be comfortable with that risk though, because after 12 months, let's say that 0% period ends, you know, you could technically balance transfer, but you want to be real with yourself of understanding where's your risk tolerance at. Because if you're taking out 10, 15, 20 grand to bet on yourself, you should know like, Hey, this better ROI in the next 12 months. So I can actually pay that back. So that's kind of the business credit route. Beyond that, you want to think about the points plan. Then we could talk about specific cards and, and ways that you could do that. Right. But I mean, on average, even if you're only spending three to 5k a month, you could be easily getting 15 to $20,000 a year of travel. I spend around 20, $25,000 a month in my business and I'm getting around hundred to 150 K. Now I'm really good at this, but that's what's possible when you do it right. There are clients of ours that are spending 10, 15 K and they're getting $50,000 a year on points, right? And it's just all about earning the right points, using the perks and benefits and status of these cards effectively. And most importantly, using the points at anywhere from five to 10 X the standard value. So that's kind of a, a breakdown of, of how I would think about it. Get your credit right, decide the path you want to go, and then build a strategy. Awesome. So we got foundational. Now let's get tactical. So I want to know some of the some of the little hacks. And I, I don't want you to give away every single bit of the game, which I know you're you're a nice enough guy to do so, but I want people to also schedule some calls with you and get get to know you and your business a little bit better as well. But we can use me or Landon as a test subject here, because I I think I did okay in in you know my credit journey, but I definitely didn't optimize hundred percent, right? I'm not I'm not doing every single thing like here, taking these points, then transferring it to this card because this gets a 5X multiple as opposed to a 1X multiple or whatever that looks like. I When I first started, started with one and then I opened up every single credit card that I could get approved for to just raise my limit. Didn't use them all, kept my credit usage under 30%. And then I started to buy these. I was like, all right, cool. I've committed to Delta as my travel partner. I'm now going to buy their Amex card and just get points using that, having one business, one personal and just maximizing the points there. Where could I have optimized better and what can I do now to start optimizing more? 
Perfect. You nailed it. So this is a really common, a common one that, that kind of is a, is a little bit of a mistake. And that's, for example, getting Delta card, unless you're playing the status game and that's like specifically what you're doing and you're trying to get top status and you have a path to get there, then, then that may make sense still. But most people end up getting the, the mid tier status, you know, silver or gold. And like, you don't really get any benefits from that. And now you've gone out of your way to create loyalty. You've, you've missed on opportunities to earn a lot more points and get a lot more value to get like a free water when you check into a hotel or to get like, like you know, going from board here too. What's that? The cards are like 500 to a thousand bucks a year. Yeah. Do. Yeah, exactly. It's like that $500 got you from boarding group nine to boarding group five. So it's like, <laughs> you know, so the real upgrades kick in when you have top status. Like I was at the park high at New York city, you know, right beneath central park. I got upgraded because I have globalist to their presidential suite that goes for 30 K a night. That's like, I mean, that's a really good example. But like when you have the top statuses, that's what's possible. And there's ways to hack all of that just from credit cards alone. But point being, so what I would, re- would have, I would have recommended for you was to look at the things you spend the most on. Probably groceries and dining would be two of them, right? And you would get a card like the Amex Gold that's going to earn four points per dollar on Amex points instead of the one point per dollar that most of your Delta cards were probably earning on that. So you'd earn four times as many points. But because Amex and Delta have a partnership, you could convert those points to Delta when you need to, or any of their other airline or hotel partners. So not only are you earning more points, but when you want them to be Delta points, you can have four times as many Delta points, or you could use them for Air France to fly to Paris. You could use them for to book, convert them to Avianca to book Lufthansa first class if you're going to Germany. You could convert them to Air Canada to book on United tickets. Like there's all sorts of different ways to use these points when to open up the conversion part from credit card bank points into airline and hotel loyalty programs. That's kind of what I'm talking to here. So that's definitely what I would have done. And even recently, Delta just changed their loyalty program where even different status members aren't getting access to their lounges. But if you're an Amex Platinum holder, you still do when you're flying Delta. So it just speaks to the power of having the right cards and really also how these airline hotel loyalty programs, they value high spenders and people that have are certain card holders more than they do frequent travelers as they kind of evolve. That's a little bit of how they're shifting. So that's what I would do differently in, in your situation. That was, that's a really, I, I'm glad you asked that question because that was, you know, without kind of redirecting it back to another selfish question, I'm more of an American. I do all American airlines. I have the airlines card. And my question was going to be, Hey, like, are the airlines cards really that worth it? And like you said, most of the time you're going to be in one of those mid tier statuses. If you're going for status and you really get not a ton of great benefits from, from it. So it sounds like the route to go is to really go to like an Amex or a Chase type of card where you're able to kind of use the points you gain through where you spend most of your spending or most of your spending takes place that can be used for points for those flights. Whatever airline you want to fly with is whatever. You can convert those points to whatever airline you have status or not status with. Just is that just in recap? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it, right? I mean, again, it it is custom to each person, but overall you you nailed it, right? Because it's like, if you're going to go spend all of your money on an American Airlines card and you're going to earn half as many points. You're not really going to get status. And then you're stuck only using those points with American. Whereas with other cards, you could put, you could have earned two to four X that amount. You could fly any airline and you could use those points to book into a business or first class ticket yeah. where the savings from that one booking would probably generate more value than any of the upgrades you might get with your low tier status. That's how I'm thinking about it. Right. And so overall, you, you nailed it. What are your thoughts on the whole miles side of things? Like, so points are different than miles these airlines pitch. So, like, what are what's the what are your thoughts on just the miles and that whole world that they? Yeah, so it does get confusing because it's partially like semantics, but essentially these are all currencies, right? And so, you know, a Chase point is different than a United Miles, different than an American Airlines mile, which is different than a Hyatt point, 
right? And so you can think of them interchangeably, but essentially they're, they're, they're kind of the same in that sense where, you know, you can earn miles from actually flying on, you know, flying on a flight, or you can earn miles through the credit card spend. Ideally, if you're going to, you know, book a ticket with American, you do have an American card and you earn miles from the purchase and you earn miles from the actual flight itself. Um, so that would be one way to do it. But essentially you're converting when you do this the right way, you're converting points from the banks. And there's really only four main banks that will do this chase city capital one and American express. If you have like bank of America points, Wells Fargo points, you know, PNC us bank, those will not convert. And this, what I'm talking about getting really good value does not apply. And I can give you guys an example of like what that actually looks like to get good value. But those are technically points, right? And then hotel points, they also call points. And then airline miles, they'll, they'll call miles, but essentially they're all the same, right? They're all just like kind of currencies for these different loyalty programs. Okay. So, so let's go back to my situation for one second. Cause I'm, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> it's like, what would be the, the next step that I take in terms of like, should I shut those cars down? Will it hit my credit report? Like, you know, then just get the, the regular Amex. Like what are, what are some things that won't damage my credit, but I can make an immediate change? Yeah. Great question. So this is what happens, right? When people start to get a lot of cards, they're curious, like, oh crap, now I have all these cards and I'll use them. What do I do? So basically if they're personal cards, they will impact your credit if you cancel them because you'll lose that that history. You'll lose that revolving line of credit, which means your utilization might go up. Your credit mix is going to go down, which means your score goes down. So the best thing to do is actually to tempt, if you have the option, most of these cards will have a downgrade option. So if you have a card that's like a $500 fee, there's probably, you know, for most of these different families of cards, it's almost like cars, like there's like the Delta line. Then there's like, you know, the American Airlines cards and there's like the Chase Bank cards. There's usually a very low or no fee version of the card and you could downgrade it to that card. And then keep the credit line open. What and then what I recommend is set something up on auto pay, so you're just building on time payments every month. Okay, so that's what I would do. If it's a business card, then you can just cancel it because that's not reporting to your credit report, and there's no negative impact on that. Awesome. So now, so like just two folded question, and, and this will be two different little segments because I want to learn about the business route because that's something that's a little bit more amb- ambiguous and not enough people talk about on how to actually start building business credit without personally guaranteeing everything. Um, but also I want to learn about like, what are like your, if you could start from scratch or what you're doing in general, like what are some of the main foundational cards that we need to get? I know like some people say like the chase Sapphire or whatever that looks like, or the Amex platinum or gold. What are some of the main cards? Let's say maybe two or three of them that we need to be having. Great. So yeah. So basically for business credit, we can start there. There's a couple things to to know about business credit. And the first thing is, is that Again, business credit cards, for the most part, won't report to your personal credit report. They don't even report to your business credit report. And if you're like, what's a business credit report? Well, most businesses actually don't even have a business credit score, but you do have a business credit report. And there's different business credit bureaus. The main ones, the main one is Duns and Bradstreet. And you have basically, you'll have a Duns number, right? But you'll, you'll get a Paydex score, which is like, it's from zero to a hundred. Okay. And you want to be over 80 on the Paydex score. The way you would build that up is very different from how you'd build up a personal score. You build your business credit score actually through getting vendor relationships rather than, than paying a credit card. So that's what I'm saying. Like if you have a business credit card and you pay it on time, it doesn't help build up your paydex score. What you need to do is you essentially need to have a relationship with a business that's going to report to the business credit bureau saying this person paid on time. So think of it this way. Personal credit is about like bank to, to consumer, right? In that relationship, business credit is more about business to business relationship, right? They want to see how reliable you are of a bit of a borrower from other businesses. And so over time, if you do that right, you'll get a good paydex score. But here's the most important thing <clears throat> for business credit is you don't have to have that to get business credit cards. And people are even confused when they say like business credit, what does that really mean? A business credit card technically falls under business credit, a business line of credit or business loan 
would fall under the umbrella of business credit. It's basically business lending, right? It's borrowing with, with your business. Now, when you're starting out and you're small like us, you do have to personally guarantee everything. There's a certain stage if your business is really significant, like we're talking multiple multiple eight figures and you've been in business for a long time, then you can start to get no, non-personal guaranteed cards or loans and stuff like that. But up until then, you're not going to see any of that stuff. It's kind of a misconception that you can get, no, they call it no PG, no PG cards. There are some, right? But they're going to be like gas cards where you can only spend them at like a certain gas station and up to like $500. So it's not like you can get a $50,000 Amex card without personally guaranteeing it. And the reason for that is because as a small business, when you're starting out, there's a lot of risk involved to a bank to lend to you. So they want to know, like, does the individual have the chops to pay this back if, if things go south, right? So you will personally guarantee it. And that's why it's important if you're starting out, you have to have a really good personal credit score and credit report in order to get business cards. And specifically, if you want to get high limit business cards, that's typically the challenge when someone's starting, they might get approved and they're trying to grow a business and they get a $2,000 credit line. And it's like, well, that didn't really do much for me. Like, but the difference is if you can get a $50,000 credit line and you have 0% interest, like now you're really in the game. Yeah. So that's a little bit on the business card. And then we can jump back around to the other stuff. But I don't know if you guys had anything else on that topic. Yeah, I'd like to pause there just for one second. Because for example, you had talked about these vendor relationships help build that paydex score. What if you're like a consulting company that basically you don't hold any like overhead and don't have vendors per se, and your, your whole business is wrapped around like IP? What, how does that work when it comes to these vendor relationships? It's so silly, but really what you have to do, and this is what most businesses have to do, you kind of have to go out of your way to go buy things from these companies that do like statistically report to the business credit bureaus and build it up. So there's one called like Uline or Granger or Quill. And these like office supplies companies, so you're going to buy like a bunch of trash cans for three months and you're going to spend over $50 each time you buy it and you get a new stapler, like random stuff, right? Even actually these shirts that I have right now, like our branded shirts, there's one called Business T-Shirt Club. And if you order swag through there, and you do that, it'll, they like are notorious for reporting to your business credit bureau. So you kind of have to intentionally go, go out and build it. It doesn't just like happen on its own. Most businesses that you have a relationship with will not be automatically reporting to the business credit bureau. So it doesn't matter what type of business you have. You just basically are going to have to go out of your way to do that in most cases. I love it, man. Great answer. Good stuff. So yeah, as, as we near the wrap up point, I want to go another five, 10 minutes if you're available for that. You know, fill us in on that, that, that latter part of the question about some of the foundational cards we should be getting and what, what perks they have. Yeah. So, so a couple really good ones. So you want to be thinking about really a couple of main things. Number one is what are the points that you want to earn first, right? Which currencies make sense to earn? And then which cards are going to earn the most of those points on the things that you spend the most on? Okay. So I'll give you a couple of basics because it's for most consumers is very similar for business owners. It starts to diversify a little bit, but. Generally speaking, as I mentioned, Chase, City, Amex, Capital One, those are the four banks you want to start with because those have the airline and hotel transfer partners, which means you can use them for a variety of different programs and you can get all this value. So specifically, I like to typically start with Chase and Amex. Those are the two that I tend to, to recommend people starting with. And you nailed it with a couple of the, of the good ones already. The Amex Gold tends to be one of the absolute best ones because you're going to get four points per dollar on groceries and dining, which is a high category expense for for everybody. Whereas most cards, the baseline you can assume is that most cards are going to earn one point per dollar on every category, unless there's like a bonus category on that card, right? So you're earning four times the amount of points. So let's put it into context, right? So if you spent a thousand bucks on that over the course of a year, that's 12,000 points, right? But with the one card change, you're getting now 48,000 points. And if you use those points decently, that's the difference of, you know, like a couple thousand dollars right there off the bat, just from changing how you do groceries and dining, if you're not even spending that much. Okay. So you've got that one. If you want 
really good perks and benefits and like lounge access and amenities while traveling, the Amex Platinum is going to be your card. Okay, this is a really high fee, but it comes with all sorts of benefits and bells and whistles. And all of these cards, even the gold, will have a decent fee. But if you use these perks and benefits well, you get to make a high ROI on that fee. So it justifies it every time. You just have to be able to use it. And at some point, you may have a bunch of cards with overlapping benefits. And then you have to decide, like, do I want to keep both of these or not? But the Platinum would be another one I'd recommend. And then on the Chase side, you nailed it with the Chase Sapphire. The Sapphire Reserve is a great card. It's going to give you like lounge access to 1300 plus lounges. You're going to get three points per dollar and a bunch of kind of high, high category of spend. And so I would generally steer someone to pick either between the Sapphire Reserve or the Platinum. It doesn't typically make a lot of sense to have both unless you're really spending a lot. And so I would, I would look at those. The last one I'll mention is one that is a little bit newer. It's about a year old. It's the Capital One Venture X. Now this gets you two points per dollar on everything, right? So, okay, you got yourself covered for travel with the Sapphire Reserve. You got yourself covered with groceries and dining for the Amex Gold. But what about when you're shopping on Amazon or buying stuff online or you're at CVS, right? Well, the Capital One Venture X will get you two points per dollar on everything. So your baseline expenses, you're earning double what you normally would. So those are the cards I would be starting with. From there, there's a couple what we call co-branded cards where you might then start to dabble with, you know, an American Airlines card, a Delta card, a Hyatt card, a Marriott card. And uh, we can get into that too. But but generally you want to start and, and earn at least a few hundred thousand points of these transferable programs before you start to get individual airline or hotel points. So the Amex Platinum is basically what the gold is, except it gives extra travel. There's a higher fee associated with it. It helps with travel perks, but it also works for, you know, groceries and 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 food as well. And, and to piggyback off that, because what what I've heard, and, and you're obviously the expert, but correct me if I'm wrong here based on what he's saying, is that like some people just buy the platinum card just for the perks and don't actually use the card itself and end up actually utilizing the gold. Is that correct? That you nailed it. Exactly it. So so Landon, to your point, it's actually different in that sense because it's gonna earn you one point per dollar on pretty much everything except for travel, where depending on how you book, you can earn up to five points per dollar. But like if you're going to buy groceries or you're out at a restaurant and you're using the platinum card and you have the gold, you should be using the gold, right? So there's there's a different reason to use them. The platinum, like a lot of these cards that are higher end, you almost want to think of them as two separate things. One is something that's going to earn you points when you spend. And one is almost like a lifestyle perks card, right? And so the, the platinum is like, you're going to get the Saks Fifth Avenue credit and the Uber credit and the Equinox credit and the fine hotels and resorts credit. And you're going to get $200 credit with the airlines when you do like an incidental purchase. And all these things, and you're going to get Marriott Gold status and Hilton Gold status. So there's like all these kind of lifestyle perks, but for actual spending, it's really not that great unless you're buying airfare. How do you learn all this shit? A <laughs> lot of years of trial and error, man, and, and just reading a lot of blogs and stuff. I mean, so for me, my path through this was I kind of did it the dummy way because I was like, what? There was no intention of starting a business when I started out. So you do what one does, you start Googling stuff. And I'm just like, I got immersed, right? I got hooked. I had this amazing experience of being able to like, travel the world and like, not make that much money, but have this lifestyle freedom. I was like, this is cool. So I was reading a lot. And then eventually I did hire a coach and I took a course on it. And like, that just took me from getting like, okay, results to like epic stuff very quickly. And that was, that was the game changer for me. So a lot of people will end up doing that eventually if they're interested, or if they're just like a busy entrepreneur, if I could go back, I would have hired that person years earlier because I was just spending so much time learning stuff. And like, this is a game where there's a lot of weird nuances and the rules are kind of evolving. So for me to try and figure that out myself, it's like, one article I read might be outdated now. And then all of a sudden, like the thing I'm trying doesn't work. And that was a whole waste. And I just spent 15 hours to try and get a free flight. And then like, I'm just like sitting there like, wow, I just wasted all my time. And yeah, so I would have gone back and done it the other way. But that's that's how I how I learned it all. Love it, man. So, so what's in store for Eli? What's your vision personally? 
Yeah, so we're continuing to grow the team right now. That's what's really exciting. And essentially, you know, we've got like a 15 person team, if you count some freelancers overseas. And really, we're just helping business owners, young entrepreneurs, growing entrepreneurs, or very established entrepreneurs. We have some, you know, really high level, multiple eight figure business owners. It really doesn't matter where they are in the entrepreneurial journey. It's really if business owners want to travel and they want to maximize the money they're spending, how they can grow their business more effectively, create a better lifestyle through travel. That's what we're here to do. And so we'll help do this all for them and and teach some of the essentials and fundamentals as deep as they want to go. But really the goal is let's get the results that are kind of, you know, that you're sitting on, like you're sitting on a pot of gold if you're running a business, because generally you're going to start to spend more than the average person, even if you're not today. And it's like, how do you set yourself up to win, to capitalize on all of that money that you're already going to be spending? So my vision right now is to continue to grow that, continue to have a lot of fun traveling, staying in Austin, but you know, once a quarter, pretty much taking a big trip overseas. I just got back from a trip over to the pyramids, ran a entrepreneur ski mastermind with 40 entrepreneurs in France. And so just continue to do that stuff, you know, have a lot of fun and then see where the journey goes. Well, I know that our listeners are going to be super stoked. I know we're super stoked to have you on and, and drop all this knowledge here. How can our listeners, how can we connect with you, follow your journey and, and, and maybe even collaborate in the future? For sure. Yeah. The best place is going to be Instagram and that's just Eli travel guy. So E-L-I travel guy, kind of like Bill and I, the science guy, just for travel. And so that's the best place. We also have a website, freedomtravelsystems.com. And those are both the, the two places you can reach out. If you want to schedule a call, just go right to the Freedom Travel Systems website. But we also have a mini course, which is normally around $50. If you want it for free, anyone listening to this can just go to my Instagram and DM me the word mini. It's M-I-N-I. And we'll send it over to you with the discount code included. So you'll get that free mini course, which will teach you some of the more foundational stuff that we're going into but also how to do some really cool things. For example, we cover like, I got like a $15,000 first class ticket to Dubai on Emirates. I took a shower on the plane. You know, it was like $300 bottles of champagne, the whole experience. It cost me like $500 out of, out of pocket. And I saved like 1.4 million points compared to what Amex Travel wanted. We go into some of that stuff in there as well. Well, whatever we need to pay you to figure this out, we're paying you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're getting the client in us for sure. There you go. Cool, cool, man. Yeah, expect the mini DM. There you go. Awesome, awesome. Good stuff, man. What I really like about this is like, it's not about, hey, go spend this money to earn this points. It's, hey, the money that you're already spending, just optimize the way that you're doing it so that you can eventually gain more travel, right? Or gain more, like just more affordability in life and and doing cooler things. So I, I love it, man. I was super stoked about this. Thank you. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah, there's an opportunity. If you're already doing something and there's just, you know, a couple of small tweaks you can make that will change the trajectory of where you're going for a long time. Like it, to me, it just makes a lot of sense. You can do it the hard way. It just seems like working hard, hard versus working smart, right? It's like, you're going to spend money already. You're going to be traveling already. Like, why wouldn't you just make the couple tweaks that are needed to spend more efficiently so you can travel in, in a more enjoyable and comfortable style? So I totally agree. And, and yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a blast. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much for pouring into us. Appreciate you. And we will chat with you soon. Sounds great.